0: In Jesus' name again, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you. Lord God, as we have been walking through the book of 1 Peter, Lord God, we've been learning many, many lessons, Lord. Lord God, we pray that today would be no different. Lord God, we need your power, we need your strength, uh, because as we have already prayed that we are incapable within ourselves to accomplish all the work in us that need to be accomplished, Lord. Uh, We need your spirit to do it, Lord God, so we willingly yield to you today. We yield to you today, Lord God, to touch our hearts and our minds, Lord God. Let us never forget your word. We love you. We thank you, Lord God. And we ask you that you would move in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple of days ago I shared uh, this illustration with a group of people. I shared with them that When I studied martial arts, I studied martial arts for about seven years, and I was getting dual belts in two different uh, art forms at the same time. And uh, one of the art forms uh, we were learning, uh, is called escrima or stick fighting, uh, we were learning how to you know, fight with sticks in our hands. Uh, but one of the techniques that uh, was initially kind of difficult for me to grab on to uh, Was this thing called we call GDF or go with the flow? And go with the flow basically it basically means that you use the energy that's coming at you, you take it and you redirect it in a different direction. But uh, one of the problems with that is that when you see someone coming towards you, you don't back up. Instead of backing up, you move towards them. Because this creates, uh, in their mind, uh, uh, a surprise, so to speak. But there's a reason for that. I'm not going to get into all that. Uh, But uh, what I will say, it creates, in their minds, a surprise. Because if you are going after someone, and then they come towards you, uh, that's created the opposite effect of what they want. Because someone who comes after you, they want to scare you away. Uh, Generally, they want to scare you away. So when they're coming at you, then all of a sudden you're going after them, it becomes really precarious. It's a really weird situation to be in. So to, to, to learn in that situation how to respond in that is, is very interesting because you're doing something opposite than what they anticipate. Well, within the body of Christ, we also uh, we should live the same way. We should live opposite from what people expect of us, you see. People tell cruel jokes. Typically what happens is we either laugh along or we tell cruel jokes with them. But as believers, we are called to a higher purpose because we have a higher calling. That means that we are not to act or to be like the rest of the world. Uh, when they begin to act crazy, we don't act crazy with them. We step into them, the situation, into the conversation. We engage, but we do so out of love. In some sense, this is at the heart of what Peter is directing us today. Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. One of the things that Peter, he tells us here, he tells us to display a set of characteristics in our life that reflect Christ who died for us all. So we are to reflect a set of characteristics that reflect reflect who Christ is in our life. Peter, he says here in verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is the goal for every believer. It's very interesting that here we find ourselves in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, but yet we have still two more chapters to go. But Peter begins verse 8 by saying, finally, as if this is going to be the conclusion of all the things that he has been talking about. You may say to yourself, I've heard preachers like that preachers who say, uh, and at my close, or finally, uh, but nevertheless, they continue to go on for another 30 minutes. What Peter means here by finally, he's, in essence, he's saying that this is the goal for all of us. This is our goal, to have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, that this is our goal. He is not ending his letter now, but he is saying that we need to take a look at this, uh, that when we look at everything that we've talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and even about marriage at the beginning of chapter 3, he's saying that this is our goal as believers in Jesus Christ. Undoubtedly, there is the testimony and witness of Christ in our lives. But there is a set of uh, attributes, a set of attitudes or behaviors which can only be forged through the fire of the Holy Spirit raging on the inside of every believer, burning all the weeds while purifying our souls as the good seed of God's word began uh, to bear fruit and to grow. What are some of these characteristics for us? Number one, Paul, he speaks of having the same mind. Again, these are uh, responses or the behavior or the attitudes uh, that people have that we should have towards another person. Again, the question that plagues us over and over again is the fear of being used. Fear of being abused, if we take that position of love or submission or sympathy or tender-heartedness or humbleness towards another person, if I am humble, if I show myself to submit to another, will they take advantage of me? So unity of mind, he says first here. this unity of mind concerns itself with the oneness with Christ and the body of Christ, which is his church. Uh, So in terms of of oneness, think of that in terms of communion. How when we use uh, the bread or the cracker or the wine or the juice, and we remember what Christ has done for us and how he has died for our sins, and then when we ingest that, uh, we are symbolizing the oneness with Jesus Christ. But as much as we are one with Jesus Christ whom we cannot see, we are also one with the body of Christ that we can see. When you look around the room, uh, that you're supposed to be one with that individual. You're supposed to be unified with them because they're supposed to love Jesus Christ just as much as you. So it's critical that we unify with Christ. Jesus Christ who was able to maintain his personhood all while being reviled by others. Uh, What do you mean by this? When Jesus responded after they said and did things to him, he didn't include uh, the things that happened to him when he was a child. He didn't uh, respond to them or lash out after them, uh, at them, because of what someone said two years ago. He was able to maintain his personhood because he knew who he was. You know what I mean? That uh, sometimes you uh, may uh, get into a disagreement with someone, then all of a sudden they, they lash out and they begin to say things, and you begin to ask them, What are you talking about? Seen people like that, what are you talking about? You're you're, you're saying all of these things, you're lashing out at me, and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. It's because they're not able to separate out who they are, or even with the conversation that you're having with them at that time. Only Jesus is able to do this perfectly. And the rest of us, we continue to ask him for his strength. Jesus knew who he was. And he did not allow anyone else to define him or to push him into doing things that God did not want him doing. As an example, the devil tried. Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The devil said to him, this is Jesus, the devil said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. So the question is. uh, Was this about turning the stone into bread? Or was this about the person of who Jesus was? Many of us. In fact, if we were challenged in like ways, we would tell them, well, you don't know what you're talking about, Mr. Devil. I'm going to show you, watch me turn this stone into bread. And not only that, you see that car over there? I'm going to turn that car into a pizza. Look at my power. Look at what I can do. But Jesus never responded to the question about his identity, did he? The devil said, if you are the Son of God. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Do you realize that sometimes people are asking questions you have no business answering? Jesus only responded to whether or not the devil's question was in line with God's word. So it is critical... Uh, to maintain our personhood in Christ as we journey through the roller coaster of life's experiences. When we lose who we are, we, we, we lose our ability to appropriately respond to people who don't know who they are. People oftentimes are saying things about us, they are coming after us because they don't know who they are you know who you are? Or are you just struggling in this life? Are you acting like every old Tom, Dick, and Harry that's, uh, that's walking down the street? Do you realize who you are? So this constant call for unity with Christ, this constant call for unity with the body, this contradicts The individualistic culture which cherishes uh, the ability to run one's life uh, via digital experiences. It's always fascinating uh, on an airplane to see uh, so many people on the airplane. Everybody is into their digital devices. Even people that have come together, they're not even talking to each other. They're sitting up there, taking away not utilizing that time in order uh, to uh, uh, to grow their relationship you know exactly what i'm talking about so unity with christ and his body uh, beckons us to personally connect with our brothers and sisters in the faith do you love them do you love me do you love the person sitting next to you So the implications of being unified with Christ not only affects unity for the sake of unity in the body, but also the empowerment to be able to handle the next areas that Peter is going to speak of. In the last two messages, we have walked together through this idea of what does subjection or submission mean. You've heard the Lord constantly move us uh, to uh, this godly behavior which can only uh, truly be sourced out of the Christian experience, uh, this idea of unity. But you say, I see unity all over the place. But that is not the unity that's found in Jesus Christ, who is the captain of our ships. It's also moved us, this idea of subjection, Submission in terms of how do we better relate to those who are in authority over us. For some, there is an unwillingness to subject or submit ourselves to others, especially if we think someone is less powerful than we are, if they are less important than we are, or less knowledgeable than we are. But this line of thinking wars against the unity of the church. You know, when we are in our worship setting, whoever's responsibility it is to lead, do you realize that I submit myself to that person at that time? When worship is being led and the worship leader says, "Stand," I stand. Worship leader says, come forward, I come forward. When they are preparing a communion, in fact, you know, I give general directions and I ask them, well, what? how do you want to do it? It doesn't matter. You do it the way that you think is the best way. Concerning preparation, that is. You know, there are certain areas that you must learn how to submit yourselves in because this is the way the body of Christ works. Amen? I see this, you know, I've been at the airport so much, uh, but but I really see this uh, uh, with a clear understanding now. Even, you know, hearing my son and some of the things that uh, he must say when I think of the pilots and his interaction with the pilots sometimes. How even though they have spent all this time and all these flying hours, when they reach a certain point uh, in the airport, do you realize that those same pilots, that they must submit to him? That he tells them what to do with these multi-million dollar planes? That when you go into the airport, right, you can't uh, go past a certain place without seeing the TSA. Right? Like them or not, uh, that you must submit yourself to them. And every step of the way, uh, you must submit yourself to someone else. The police officers who uh, patrol the grounds, that they must submit themselves to a higher authority as well. If they want, if a police officer wanted something to eat, he couldn't just go up there and say, I'm a police officer, give me something to eat. But he must submit himself to the cashier or the clerk. Within uh, the airport, everyone is submitting themselves one to another. This is how the church should work. The problem is that in some uh, churches, some people think that they're better than other folks. You think that you're better than folks because uh, you have such and such a business. Or outside of the church, I do this. I'm the leader of a classroom, so you can't tell me what to do. I'm wiser or I'm smarter than you are. But the fact that you may think that shows that you lack submission, shows that you lack humility, shows that you are still an immature Christian. Next, the scripture here in verse 8, it goes on to speak of sympathy. And I'm not going to run through all of these, just uh, two of these. But sympathy is uh, to experience something that comes from the outside. Experience something that comes from the outside or uh, to suffer, uh, suffer with or to sympathize. What comes to mind is the ability to experience the suffering of another as they have gone through a death of someone that they love, how do you sympathize with them? This is a huge step. If you have been unwilling to take on a weight that you don't want or are unable to carry, uh, if someone is suffering, how do you sympathize? How do you suffer with them? You see? So I don't think that the heart of this passage desires us to place ourselves in the same shoes as those who suffer, but instead it wants us to identify with them, uh, that we should have a sense of what they're going through. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, he says, weep with those who weep. Sometimes we will cry, but it will not be exactly the same tear that someone else has shed. But in our life, we oftentimes ask folks, how do you feel with the sole intent of just moving on with our life? How are you doing today? Okay, all right, God bless you. Praise the Lord, right? How are you you doing today? Oh, okay, well, well, God bless you. Uh, They barely get a chance to get the words out their mouth, and you're saying, oh, okay, all right, see you later. You see, sometimes when people are going through, what it requires is not an answer, but it requires discernment from us. Because sometimes you can sense what people are going through. If you just ask the Holy Spirit, you know something else is going on. Uh, it reminds me of a friend of mine when I was in seminary. That one of the things he used to ask, he used to always ask, uh, how are you doing? And he'd say, I- I'm doing all right. And then he would walk up to you. He would get about this close to your face, right? And then he would say, how are you really doing, Brother? And a lot of times, we don't share because, uh, whatever reason, we don't feel comfortable sharing about our life. But if someone truly wants to know how you're doing, tell them how you're doing. Someone asked me uh, last night, how are you doing today? I, I said, you know what? I said, how I said, first, how are you doing? They said, I'm doing great. I said, you know, you, well, you want to know how I'm doing? I said, right now, I'm tired. You know what they told me? They said, I really didn't want to tell you. They said, but I'm exhausted. Why do we do that? Why do we play? If you're tired, you're tired. Uh, You let people know so they can pray for you. Some people are hurting, and you try to uh, give them sympathy, and some say, I don't need your sympathy. Because they are just jacked up on the inside. They're messed up on the inside. Uh, They're so messed up uh, that they don't even want your sympathy. They don't want your prayers. They want to go through all by themselves. But I'm telling you, within the body of Christ, that we need one another. We need each each other's prayers. We need for those to have joy. When we have joy, we need others to weep when we need, When we weep, we need the body of Christ In light of this understanding, we need to learn how to put ourselves in the shoes of others. Difficult, it's hard, but we need to learn how to do that and not putting up a wall of defense around ourselves. So all of this goes hand in hand with our ability to display uh, this next godly attribute for the believer who struggles with opposition and problems yet are anchored in Christ and who live by his words are to have brotherly love have a tender heart have a tender heart have a tender heart and a humble mind so instead of getting even as believers we are to bless instead of getting even we are to bless can you say that Instead of getting even, I will bless. Come on, repeat after me. Instead of getting even, of getting even. I will bless. I will bless, I will bless. I will bless. Instead, of instead of getting even. First Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, you see, on the contrary, do the opposite. He says to bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So there is a relationship between us blessing others and us receiving a blessing from God. But we know again that this is hard to do, especially when someone has wronged us. When someone has talked about us, This is hard to do. Why is it so difficult? Uh, Just think about it for a a moment. You think about the people who are always talking about somebody else. Always trying to say something negative about another person. I bet you almost any money, and I'm not a betting man. I am a faithful man who believes in Jesus Christ, but I bet you, right? Air quotes, right? that that person who's talking about someone else, talking about what you are doing, more than likely they have been hurt and have been hurt deeply. And all they want to do is drag you down the quagmire of unfaithfulness and darkness and wickedness with them. I guarantee you, Because you have to ask yourself this question. When was the last time that person said something positive about so-and-so? When was the last time they said something positive about this? or That, or me, or my friend. But see, as believers, uh, that we are called to do the opposite. Not to curse, not to get even. We are called to bless. How do we bless someone who's trying to hurt us? How do we bless someone who's always so dark? Because we want to defend ourselves and say, they can't talk to us like that. They can't, you can't treat me like that. In fact, our wise peers may say something like this you know what? Uh, anytime somebody starts off with you know what, you know there's something else uh, funny coming after that. You know what, if I were you, I wouldn't take that from them. See, all they're doing is seeding your mind, uh, taking you down uh, this very dark path. Face it, we live in an eye-for-eye world. What you do to me, I'm going to do to you. But isn't this at the very heart of the street gang mentality? Not only do they want to stake out territory, right? But you do something to my people, then I'm going to do something ten times to your people. Right? And it goes back and forth. But do we think that in the body of Christ, we also have the street gang mentality? You know what? You said this about me. You know, uh-uh, I'm not going to take this and I'm going to come back with you and I'm going to cut you down. We say this in the church. But this is not the heart of God. This is not the heart of Scripture. This is not the heart of truth. Because if you live this way, then you have a spiritual street gang mentality. That's who you are. That's the way that you are acting. When I mention this, I always think of uh, Charles Stanley, uh, you know, the pastor down there in Atlanta, who had shared one time that uh, one time he was on the pulpit, and one of the members of his church got up and slapped him in the face. They got up and slapped him in the face. I'm like, yikes! All right, first thing I say, I, first thing I said was, I, I don't think I would have let them get that close to me to begin with, right? He said he saw them coming. He said they were really angry, but he wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. So they walked up there, and they slapped him in his face. And he said he wanted to retaliate. He wanted to to do things to them. But he stood there, and he took it. But ultimately, what happened, this person always had a thing against him, always saying negative things about him. And in the end, that was in the early days of his ministries, if I'm recalling correctly. But what that did, the fact that he did not retaliate, uh, that that sealed his relationship with the rest rest of the congregation because they wanted that man gone. And from that point, the entire church began to follow him. Are you willing to take a slap in the face in order to lead God's people? Are you willing to take a punch in the gut in order to have your leadership secured in your household? You see, we love the end of the story, but we don't like moving through the story to get to the end of the story to get the reward of the story. Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. We will never grow without having something to grow through. You will never grow without having something to grow through. Right? You know, I've been on this airport and this plane theme, right? And uh, one of the things I realized as I was thinking through this message was that every time that you get on a plane, you're going to experience some type of turbulence. Well, sometimes that turbulence may be less severe than other times. I've been on planes that there have been like a little small shake and that's it, and you move on with your business. I've been on planes where I felt the plane, it felt like it dropped like 20 to 40 feet in the air. And I'm talking about a jumbo jet with two, where people were upstairs and downstairs. This whole plane go whoosh, and then all the way back up hitting turbulence. Man, that scares the living daylights out of you. Some people say the heebie jeebies out of you. But one thing that I have learned, regardless of when you fly, that one thing that you can expect, you can expect turbulence in your life regardless of how much you go to church regardless of how much faith that you have you will experience some level of turbulence in your life it's going to happen amen which is why they tell you when you're on the plane uh, that if you're if you are seated make sure that your seat belt is securely Fasten, because we may experience a sudden turbulence and you want to make sure that you are in your seat really, really good. So things can be calm. You've heard uh, the news story about people being in a plane and all of a sudden they experience turbulence and people end up getting hurt. So for us, what are our seat belts? Jesus Christ, He is our seat belt. So, regardless of where you are in life, or regardless of things are going smoothly, or if you see turbulence coming ahead, or you remain anchored, you remain seat belted with Jesus Christ. See that turbulence in life? It may cause you to question your faith, it may cause you to question. Even the Lord that you serve, because why would God allow you to go through this today? Why would He do this? Lord, why would you do this to me? So, if you are to live in this spiritual life, you can expect turbulence. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Jesus Christ, He is our rock, He is our high priest. And God is able to get you through, God is able to get me through life's uh, challenges, life's struggles, if we are willing to allow him to do what he does best, and that is to be our God. So bless those who persecute you, and don't curse them, don't badmouth them, you just let God take care of his own business, amen? Amen? Again, Romans 12, here's now verse 14. Paul says again, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. In fact, as you hear this message, some of you people are coming to your mind right now. I guarantee you. Right now, some people are coming to your mind. But as those people come to your mind, just say to yourself, say in your heart, Lord, just bless them. Some of you say, I ain't doing that. You just say, Lord, just, bless. come on. You know who I'm talking about. I don't know who you're talking about, but you know what I'm talking about because they're coming to your mind right now, those folks who have treated you poorly, they've treated you badly, they've bad-mouthed you, they said all kind of things about you, uh, trying to connect you again with your past before you live with Jesus Christ, they're trying to downplay your life, downplay your Lord, but God says, don't curse them, but bless them. Because this is what we have been called to do. By blessing those who persecute us, we place ourselves in a position to receive a blessing from God. And this blessing comes in the form of releasing those who have harmed us in some way while turning away from the very evil that can eat us from the inside out. Some people have you know, all types of ulcers and things in their body because they're still holding on uh, to not liking people. You may have heard this past week that there was a doctor who was murdered by a man who held a 20-year grudge against him just this past week. and They went and found this man's manifest and said he had been uh, observing and researching this guy, this doctor for years knew who his friends were, what time he went to work, what time he came home. Uh, he, knew, he knew his entire thing until finally, last week, he murdered him. A 20 year grudge. But raw emotions stares us in the face. Even some biblical writers attest to this as well. Look at Psalm chapter 109, beginning in verse 2. Psalm 109, beginning in verse 2. It says here, For the wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me. He's saying, they're talking about me. Father God, they're talking about me. It reminds me uh, when my brothers and sisters used to talk about me. I used to go to my mother and say, Ma, Ma, they're talking about me, Ma. Daddy, they're talking about me. The psalmist here says, For the wicked father and the deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They're lying on me, Daddy. Daddy, they're lying on me. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause in return for my love. I love them so much. They accuse me, uh, but I give myself to prayer. So as they accuse me, I just pray. Verse 5, so they reward me for for evil, for good, and hatred for my love. This places the believer in a precarious position. When we find ourselves in a place where our feelings and emotions rule over us and even rule over what God's word says. Now, I'm going to pick up in Psalm 109, verse 6, but I'm going to read out of a different translation, and I want you to listen to this. I don't want you to read what you have there. It's, it's generally the same, sort of, but I want you to listen how Eugene Peterson pens it here in the Message Bible in verse 6. So, Uh, The question is, so the psalmist says that, well, I'm just going to pray for them and I'm going to bless them and not curse them. Oh, praise be to God that God is going to deliver me and I just love them to death. Listen how Eugene Peterson phrases this beginning in verse 6. God, send the evil one To accuse my accusing judge. Dispatch Satan to prosecute him. When he's judged, let the verdict be guilty. And when he prays, let his prayer turn to sin. Give him a short life and give his job to someone else. Make orphans of his children. Dress his wife in widow's weeds. Turn his children into begging street urchins, evicted from their homes. Homeless, may the bank foreclose and wipe him out. And strangers, like vultures, pick him clean. May there be no one around to help him out. No one willing to give his orphans a break. Chop down his family tree. So that nobody remembers his name. This is from the psalmist. After he prayed, too, right? He didn't say that and then say, Oh Lord, forgive me. Uh, uh, I, I need for you to just shower your love. He, he, he prayed first, and then this is what came out of his, his mouth. He wanted those who were jacked up, he wanted God to jack them up. This is not so Christ-like, is it? But you see, this is how we really feel sometimes. Deep down inside, we want those who have done us wrong to be maimed, to be damaged, to be hurt as much as possible. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. But to the uninformed, they may look at this passage and insist because and insist because it's in the Bible, they have a right to avenge, to get revenge. But I want you to know, no, because God says, revenge is mine. The Holy Spirit leads us to a different way of thinking and a different way of acting. So to bless someone after they have cursed us requires faith, a belief that God will judge rightly and reward you, reward me for our obedience. Finally, very quickly, control yourself because because God watches Verse 10, here in 1 Peter chapter 3. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So in other words, let God, let God deal with it. Maturity begins with the end in mind. If you love life, and want to experience the result of your salvation in heaven, then it is imperative you respond appropriately to God's word. Uh, Look at verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, what it's talking about is talking about the eternity. The the good days are in heaven, right? If you desire this, then keep your tongue from evil. Well, some say if that's the case, then you're saying we have a works-based salvation. That's not the case. If we are saved, then we respond appropriately. If you know Jesus Christ, then your mouth is going to be right. Turn away from evil. And I know, again, some of you have been done wrong by folks at one point or another. And I get it. But if your tongue always man always, always, always manages to slip to say things you shouldn't, then you need to evaluate your place in Christ because we should not say anything that's hurtful or evil. How can we lead others? We can't express the presence of the Lord in our life. If you always slipping up, then God has not taken control over your tongue. So as I conclude this message, don't think that I'm asking you to act passively. Don't think that I am instructing you that when someone is trying to do you wrong, you let them do you wrong, and then you just lay down on the floor. No, I'm not saying that that is not biblical, in fact. What I'm saying is that that we can still speak the truth in love and respectfully, But don't start cursing and screaming and fighting trying to get your point across because that is not biblical and it is not Christian. And what we need to do is remember the times when the Lord has delivered you before. Remember when someone has prayed for you and God answered those prayers. You know the Lord and you know he delivers. Trust him again. Consider yourself, however, and maybe to a certain extent the trouble you went through is really about you and not about them anyway. How could this be? Just remember that the Lord, He takes our troubles and uses us, uses them to mold us into the image of His Son. Being spiritually mature, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is what God calls us to. He calls us to bless and not curse. Let's pray.